0: This episode of the Golf.com podcast is brought to you by the USGA. The USGA and RNA received comments from more than 22,000 golfers in 102 countries as they reviewed the rules of golf this year. For more on the changes that are expected for January 2019, visit usga.org.
1: Hello, this is Alan Shipnuck back for another podcast for The Knockdown. Thanks, as always, for listening. I'm delighted that our guest this time around is Scott McCarran, who, as I'm sure you are aware, has been tearing up the Senior Tour. Four victories so far, some very low rounds on the weekend to run away with a couple of the wins, and he's sort of hot on the heels of Bernard Longer in the Schwab Cup standings, but whether you can catch the ultimate driving machine from uh, Germany remains to be seen, but McCarron is a very strong number two. So, Scott, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. So, you know, there's all this talk about who's the best athlete in golf. Is it Dustin Johnson? Is it Gary Woodland? You should be part of that conversation. <laughs> you I mean, you went you went to UCLA to play tennis, right? Well, I
2: went to UCLA to play golf, but then I tried out for the tennis team. Uh, I played. My dad was a professional baseball player. Yeah, I was a shortstop in the tri- Triple uh, A and. St. Louis and Chicago, was a very good athlete. So, you know, I've got a good background with athletes. My uh, grandfather pitched for the San Francisco Seals. So, you know, I've always done everything. I played football, basketball, baseball, um, then played a lot of tennis. And, you know, I kind of gave everything up after about my sophomore year in high school just to kind of focus on golf. So where did the UCLA tennis
1: thing come in?
2: Well, I played a lot of tennis uh, growing up. And, I, I, you know, I was a pretty good tennis player. And I won a few tournaments, uh, little junior tournaments and stuff like that. And it was my redshirt year, my third year at UCLA. And I was playing on... Uh the intramural team, tennis, and I won that, and I won the IFC, the fraternity team, tennis, and the singles, <laughs> and I also won the uh, racquetball. I was a big racquetball player. So I thought, you know, what the heck? I got a year off here. Why not try out for the tennis team? And I, and I did. You know, I wasn't in the greatest shape, really, yeah. like those guys are. Yeah. Um, but I made it to the finals, and I uh, had a chance to make uh, make the team, but uh, didn't quite make it. But I had a lot of fun doing so, it.
1: So if you'd won that final match, you're on the team? could
2: Yeah, I could have been yeah, l- really low guy on that team.
1: <laughs> what did the golf coach think of all this?
2: Uh, you know, at the time, uh, he didn't know. <laughs> and I wasn't going to tell him. Um, that's probably why I didn't play a lot when I
1: came back. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. Yeah. And so, who were the, your teammates? Because that, that Bruin era was strong.
2: We had, you know, right before I got there, we had uh, Corey Pavin, Steve Pate, yeah. Jay Delsing, Mickey Okoy. We had some really good players. My era was Duffy Waldorf um, and Brant Job. you know, who have been out here for a long time on the PGA Tour. Now, uh, the. Uh, PJ Tour champion. So, you know, we had a lot of really good teams, and I actually, I, you know, I was probably, I, I didn't play great in college, and, but I was on the team, and I was probably 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth man on our team, and we'd carry 16, 17 guys. I mean, we
1: had some good teams, and so it was tough for me to even crack the top five. The, the great, I mean, the good and the bad thing about going to UCLA is you don't have a home course like like an Oklahoma State whatever right. But you, you play Bel Air, you play Riv, LA North. We I mean, did we had, we
2: had some great golf courses. Uh, we got you know we got to play uh, Annandale, Lakeside, Wood Ranch, um, El Cab's. So, Brentwood. We had a lot of great golf, golf courses besides just playing Bel Air all the time twice a week. Um, we got to play Riviera once a month and we got to play LA once a month. So we had a lot of great places but the problem with going to UCLA at the time we didn't have any practice facilities. Right. Um, so we would have to hit balls in the IM field there. You know, you're know, you hitting balls where guys are trying to play football and flag football and frisbee football and everything. So we didn't, ha- and the weekends we didn't have a place really to go if you weren't from Southern California to go practice and play. And that was a detriment. When you get a, a whole weekend off to a college kid, he's going to find Find something bad to do <laughs> yeah. which we usually did
1: <laughs> well so i went to ucla and we used to go over to rancho park <laughs> yeah, oh yeah there was a hole in the fence on the fourth or fifth hole is <laughs> a part downhill part, Down three. part three? And, yeah sure. and there's a parking lot and we would go in the afternoon we'd sneak in and that's it was so funny. It was fantastic. There was one day it rained so hard they closed the course. And me and my, my buddies and I heard that. We raced over there. There weren't even any flags. We were just in the middle of the green. Go we got like nine holes in in about an hour, and then the marshal came roaring up in a car. And we sprinted through <laughs> the – but Rancho was our home Rancho course. Rancho's
2: your home course. And you know was interesting? When it rained in L.A., which didn't rain all the time, and we got golf canceled, we'd all go play Homeby Hills. I don't know if you remember Homeby Hills. Yeah. It was a par-3 golf course right by L.A. Country Club. And we would go over there and just play tackle football. Anybody who complained would get t- and uh you know
1: it was just an absolute blast playing over there at home hills that's why your area golfers are tougher do you, you think like <laughs> just justin thomas is getting tackled no, very often. he's probably not getting tackled out there no you're not getting tackled <laughs> um so another kind of quirk in your biography is you you come out of school and instead of playing golf you took like a, a job in the street world right yeah, i did I, I why you
2: know it's interesting i i didn't play that well in college. Um, a little disenchanted with golf, uh, in that I played well enough to, you know, qualify for a lot of tournaments, but I wasn't getting put in, I wasn't getting played. And I think that was, that was tough on me at the time. And so I just quit. I literally quit golf, didn't play hardly at all. And, uh, my parents uh, who lived in Napa when I was still in college, we got hit by the flood in 86 and lost everything. Lost My dad lost his business, house, we lost everything. So kind of had to start over again and so when I was getting ready to graduate, I was either going to go to law school um, and then I talked my dad to going back into business. I was going to start it. So I started the business, went and got the SBA loans with no previous job except bartending um, <laughs> but I played golf with a guy, the loan officer for the SBA loans and we were able to put a, put a business plan together and came up with it. So we started a golf apparel company um, up in sacramento, and the only time I played golf was to run golf tournaments. My job was to go out there and do kidney Foundation um, heart lung foundation sacramento children 's homes and I would sell them one hundred and forty four shirts for their tournament and then I would help them kind of run it and play in it. So the only time I ever played golf was playing scramble events for these charity events, and I was always doing it because I was selling shirts <laughs> and I did that you know for two or three years, and you know I played. I started a flag football team, City League, Um, I played the City League basketball, I played uh, 5-0 tennis team, I played open racquetball tournaments, I was skiing probably 40 days um, during the winter, got my pilot's license when I was in college, so I was flying a lot, um, kayaking up there in the American River, and I was doing all this stuff that I couldn't do all those years when I was playing golf. And so for a couple years, I mean, I had an absolute blast, didn't really miss golf at all, and uh, that was really 1988 until about 91. And it was, at 1991, a PGA Tour Champions event at my home course, Ranch Marietta, called the Raley Senior Gold Rush, that I first saw like five or six guys putting with a long putter. And uh, that's kind of the, you know, the famous story. I went home and made my own long putter that night and went out the next morning, told my dad I called in sick for work, basically, and went out and putted <laughs> with this long putter. And that kind of got me back into golf.
1: Had you been haunted on the greens prior to that? You know,
2: I wasn't putting, I didn't put very good. I was always a really good putter as a junior, <clears throat> but then was not putting very good in college, and I actually putted left handed um for the last couple of years in college no so way. yeah just putted left-handed and you know put it all right but it wasn't good enough to play tour level golf yeah uh, but when I got that long putter I said okay I, th- I think I can play again and I started playing some amateur tournaments just for fun and winning them and and uh an absolute blast and then Brant Job, who was playing the uh, Japanese tour um came to my house and we played and he brought another buddy of his from the Japanese tour and you know I was kind of could hang with them. I thought, you know, if these guys can do it, I can do it. And that was it. That was kind of the start of me turning pro and uh, pursuing my dream.
1: And when, as kind of a pioneer of the long putter, did you get a lot of abuse, a lot of grief from your colleagues?
2: You know, I really didn't that much at the time. You know, there were a few guys putting with it, and, and honestly, I really didn't care what anybody else thought. I was having fun and, and playing golf and, and playing well. You know, when you're playing well and beating guys, they really can't give you too much grief. <laughs> um, so I really wasn't getting too much grief for it. But, you know, at the time, it was like, oh, that's for an old guy, you know, that type of thing. You know, but then you had some guys. Rocco Media was using it. Brett Ogle was using it on the PGA Tour and won and won this tournament uh, yeah. during the AT&T. So, you know, a few guys were using it and having success. So, you know, I really didn't get too much grief from it.
1: Did you become kind of the guru? where they come to you for, for counsel?
2: <laughs> you know, it's funny. I Then when I got on the PGA Tour, I would go and hang out with Rocco or I would hang out with Bernard Longer, who was starting to use it. And definitely I was... Trying to pick their brains all the time on, on how to do it and what to do, um, and then I guess I, you know I kind of became the guru after you know I had some, some success with it. Um, and again, you know, we had to reinvent ourselves again after the 2016 rule. So um, now people are coming up to me and asking me how I do it now, and so you know I'm trying to help some guys out now with the long putter not anchored.
1: All right, let's just go there because we have to. So oh, sure. the the whole the whole anchoring non anchoring business. How how much is that? Uh, offended you personally, all the the whispers and the the stuff on Twitter?
2: Well, you know, it's funny. I can't really control what other people say about it. All I can do is teach them how to do it and teach them what I do so then they understand. So anybody that's saying stuff on Twitter or saying stuff in the media, they really don't know what we do. They don't have spent any time with me. And once they do, then they understand. So it's just more of an ignorance on their part.
1: Break it down for me. How do you prevent you know your hand from touching your body.
2: Well, it's pretty easy. Your hands off your body right now, right? And that's okay, it. Put your hand up right now.
1: That's touching your body.
2: <laughs> I just hit him in the chest. That hurt for your viewers. Uh, yeah, you can you know when you touch your body, yeah. but I, I pull it off probably two to three inches now it's difficult to see on tv because your shirt the shirt shirt hangs or your jacket hangs and when you bend over a little bit the shirt hangs out an inch or two and so it's kind of you know up against your shirt but it's not touching your body it's pretty easy i mean i know the usga said well we have this intent rule if you accidentally there's never going to be an accidental touch when i'm doing
1: it i mean i know exactly what i'm doing you need to wear like size extra small shirts. Well, I
2: thought that I could either play with my shirt off, or like wear a skin tight Under Armour, and that would probably help some people.
1: That would be spectacular. Wouldn't
2: that? Be? I think it would help viewers.
1: <laughs> viewership. <laughs> Let's not kid ourselves. Okay, here, maybe so. not. Yeah. <laughs> Although, um, and and how how is Bernard taking the whole thing? He's he's such a proud man. Well, he
2: is, and you know that that guy's got more integrity than anybody. I mean, for anyone to question uh, his. Uh, you know, whether he's anchor or not, I think is just foolish. And, you know, if you're questioning Bernard Langer, you really got some problems of your own. And it's interesting, the guys that were questioning it, my thing to them was if they're questioning us, then they're saying if they had the opportunity, they might actually anchor. And I don't Ooh. get that. Yeah. So, you know, I put it back on them. If you really think that I, I've never had an issue in, in 25 years playing professional golf, Bernard Langer's never had an issue in all his years. He's been pro since he was like 12, I think. And also, now you think that we're going to start anchoring? I think the, the issue is more like on them, they, that they had, if they were in the same opportunity, that they might actually cheat. It's incredible to me. That's called projection. It's bad. You know, and, and again, you know, like Langer said, and he said it, stated it pretty, he said a lot of it's jealousy. You know, I think a lot of guys, when they saw that Langer and myself couldn't uh, putt with a long putter anchor anymore, that we would go away. Well, instead, we worked our butts off, and I actually putt better, not anchored. It's a freer stroke, so I think the guys are upset that we're still hanging around. And, you know, again, we're one and two on this Schwab Cup, and yeah. we've been one and two last year and this year. Yeah. So there's a few guys that are, I guess, a little better.
1: I like it. Does your, I mean, this is a silly question. Does your arm get tired if you're practicing for half an hour? No, oh, not at all. It's pretty I mean, it's you're easy. shredded, right?
2: Oh, yeah, I work out and, I, you know, I, do, I actually do some things that I work out, like with a body blade. I don't know if you've ever seen the body blade. It's a little contraption that you can hold in the middle and it whips, okay? So the front and the back end whip. Okay? I've seen that yeah. body blade. Yeah. Yeah, it's a workout thing. So I actually hold it just like I would a long putter. And do that to st- help the stabilizing muscles in your shoulders and your arm. And that's one of the things that uh, you know, I probably do now more than I ever did just because to be able to hold that knot anchored, you want the stabilization muscles to be you know, fairly strong. And uh, you know, I'm in better shape than I've ever been, so the knot anchoring is not a problem at all.
1: I mean, some of the scores you're shooting this year are just silly. I mean, buck 25 on the weekend. Yeah, that was low
2: at the Dicks sporting good events. That was awesome. Uh, You know, I played great. I've, I've, you know, had a lot of really low rounds. Um, I put myself in contention a lot and uh, been able to come through. I mean, won four times this year, and I finished second three times, uh, which I, you know, felt like I probably could have won a couple more. But I'm having fun, and I think a lot of it is just enjoying out here being with my buddies, um, and learning a lot from Bernard Longer in the last couple of years. I got to play with him a bunch in the final groups where he was kicking my butt every week. And I got to learn a lot to watch him play, watch him pick apart a part golf course, um, how he, you know, misses it always in the right spot, and how patient he is. I always felt like I had to be, to win golf tournaments on the PGA Tour, I felt I had to play my absolute best. You know, I had to hit the hero shot, I had to go for everything. And, you know, that might be why I only won three times. Jack Nicklaus won a lot of tournaments where people backed up and he won. Sure. So I've learned a lot about being more patient out here, just keeping yourself in that position, and, and you know you never know what's going to happen at the end.
1: When people say, you know, they're in their 50s, I'm a better player now than I was when I was 30. Mean, you're one of those guys. Absolutely. And that was big a year
2: ago at the Regions uh, in Alabama. Um, I've been putting myself in position quite a bit. And, again, I was in the final group playing with Langer, and I came up short. And I just wasn't playing my best on Sunday when I was in the hunt. and I, So I uh, saw Hal Irwin. I said, all right, I want to take you to dinner. I want to pick your brain. This guy's won 45 times. He's yeah. won more than anybody out here. Yeah. Every time he got in the hunt, it seemed like he won. Yeah. And I started asking him a bunch of questions about how he won, how he approached it, what he thought. And there were a couple things. One was he was very patient. He said, you know what, I didn't press it too much, hit the fairway, hit the green, you know, put myself in position, and some of the tournaments I would birdie the last couple holes to win. Other tournaments I'd just make pars and someone else would make a bogey. But I kept myself in that position a lot. And the other thing he said to me, he says, I played my best golf from 50 to 53 of my entire life. And I thought, my gosh, why can't I? Yeah. You know, I'm in good shape. I feel like I've learned a lot. Uh, I've been working with a great teacher, E.A. Tischler, over the last couple of years to get ready for this PGA Tour Champions. Um, I feel like I'm hitting the ball well. Why can't I play my best golf from 50 to 53? And now you look at Langer playing some of his best golf into his 60s. So, you know, that's, he's setting the bar pretty high. And that's the guy that I'm looking at, you know, one of my idols that I'm trying to emulate.
1: I mean, you can make the case that Bernard Langer is the greatest – old athlete on the planet in any sport doing anything he's, i would agree
2: wholeheartedly people have
1: no idea the level he's playing at they
2: have no idea the the level that he's playing in at in and week out i think last year his worst finish was 13th yeah you know and and people don't realize how good these guys out in the pjr champions are i mean these guys can flat out play and to play all year and you have your worst finish at 13th is incredible he like never had a bad week um He's playing his some of his best golf of his entire life now, but he works at it. If you see him on Monday, he's the first guy at the golf course. He's the last guy to leave, and he might have won the week before. Instead of going out and celebrating and partying and having a two-day hangover, and after he's gone to Vegas, which he never does, he goes to the next tournament, and he's there on Monday on the range working on stuff. It's really impressive.
1: I mean, do you ever want to say, Bernard, enjoy it, man. Yeah, like, have some fun. I
2: do all the time. Take a couple more weeks off. You know, we've actually become you know friends over the last... You know, a few years, and just because we've played a lot. I mean, I respect him so much, and I give him so much credit for really some of my success. But he's the guy that I'm shooting for at the start of the season. When I'm setting my goals, I'm setting my goals to try to win the Schwab Cup. And And he's the guy that's been number one, so
1: I'm trying to beat him. So this is, I'm sure, a factor in your great play. I have this theory that when someone gets, like, a new girlfriend, you <laughs> got to look out because they're motivated. They want to show off, right? Absolutely. And so, I mean, you had kind of a quasi-shotgun wedding last year. Tell us about that whole thing. We
2: did. Uh, my wife, Jenny, and I, you know, we've been dating for about five years at the time, and we've talked about getting married, but, you know, how do you get everybody together? And, do, you know, we travel so much, and yeah. do we really want to plan a big thing, or are we just going go to go the two of us and get married? Um, but we had always said when we first started dating, we're both big outdoorsmen. Yeah. She's a big fly fisherman. I'm a big fly fisherman, hunter. We like being outdoors. And we always said if we ever get married, we're going to register at Bass Pro Shops. I mean, that was, a, it was an absolute truth that we said that. And then we were fly fishing in Basalt and driving up this beautiful road up this river. And I, the fishing guide's with us. And I said, oh, man. I love to fish right there. I mean, this stretch of river just for two miles miles—it's the prettiest you've ever seen. Yeah. And he goes, well, that's Johnny Morris's ranch, and he owns that, so you can't fish there. I'm thinking, you know what? Next year I'm going to be on the Champion's Tour. I'm going to meet this guy so I can fish there. <laughs> so lo and behold, we play in the Bass Pro Shops, and we walk up to register. Uh, there are at Top of the Rock, and we look out, and we see this church. Right on the top of the rock golf course, right on the first hole overlooking the lake. And it was just the most beautiful church you've ever seen. And we both looked at each other and said, oh, my God, if we ever get married, we're getting married there. <laughs> I mean, it was just one of those things. And we decided on a Friday, let's just go ahead and do it, um, see if the church is open. Kirk Elmquist, termite director, says, I'll marry you. I can do that. I'm ordained. And, we're, and, and lo and behold, it just started this uh unbelievable avalanche of things, positive things happening, and we were able to get it done, and uh, 7 o'clock on Saturday, we all met at the church, all the Champions Tour players, and we did a <laughs> shotgun
1: wedding, and it was just an absolute blast. I mean, it's in- to pull away together in 24 hours, that's that's as good as shooting 61 to win a golf tournament.
2: It, it was, and it and it was the funniest thing. I had to go play the next day, Saturday. So, Faxon and I tee off, and <laughs> my wife went down with a bunch of her friends, and they went into uh, Branson, Missouri, and she went to Dave's Bridal, and she got a dress and a veil, and she got wedding rings at Kohl's, which I'm still wearing for 50 bucks each. It's and a handsome it's ring. It's <laughs> a handsome ring, 50 bucks each. And by the time I got on the eighth green, they were all back, and she said, "It's all done, all planned, ready to go." <laughs> I mean, really, it was incredible. How did you play that day? I don't remember. You know, we played okay. You know, I I was a little nervous going, okay, are we really going to be doing this? Is it really going to happen? Um, But I was ready, and um, she's just a wonderful person, and she's such a huge support of mine. I mean, she came out and caddy for me on the web.com we first started dating and we're staying in motel sixes on the fast lane of freeways you know and i mean the whole bit and and she was right there with me and and she has just been amazing support for me and yes you know trying to show off for your new girlfriend and your new wife definitely uh has been a big plus for me
0: let me pause for one quick second for a message from the usga Combining golf in life is tricky. I know I have a hard time doing it here in New York City. How do you fit one into the other? Ask the USGA, and they think it's pretty easy. It's called Play Nine. Nine-hole golf is time-friendly, unwind-friendly, friend-friendly. It's conducive to just about every aspect of your busy, busy life. Golf after work, golf before you pick up the kids. It's possible when you play nine. You can even post your nine-hole score, and it counts directly towards your handicap. There's a lot to love about this game, and when there's less time to play this game, the USGA says Play 9. Learn more about options to play in your area by going to usga.org slash play 9.
1: So, you get married Saturday night. What time do you have to peg it on Sunday? Yeah, we had to peg it probably about 10 o'clock on Sunday. We That hurts.
2: We had a, we had a, a great little ceremony, then we had a little reception after. Um, Craig Stadler bought, brought champagne, Dave Frost brought wine, the... Um, the people up there at the Top of the Rock made a wedding cake, and we had some hors d'oeuvres, but everybody was in bed by 9.30. I mean, this is the Champions Tour. It's <laughs> not like we're partying until 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, so it wasn't too bad. And, uh, you know, it was just a blast. You could have planned that for a year and, and not done any better. And I know Matt Janela planned his for a year up there at the Top of the yeah. Rock, and uh, we were able to plan it really quickly, and it turned out great.
1: I mean, I was at that, I was at Matt's I know, it, it, I know It's Matt. a great spot. Yeah, it, it really is. It's, it's I mean the what 30 mile views of what did you can see forever you can see forever
2: it just yeah. really is a special place and it was really neat to be able to go back this year um and when we finished the tournament uh, uh some of the people said hey would you come up after the round uh, we just want to get some pictures of you and jenny in front of the church and when we came back um johnny morris had made some signs that said congratulations jenny and scott i mean Here's this guy who owns Bash Pro Shop, you know, multi-billionaire, and he's out in the backyard making these special signs for us, uh, hand painting them and stuff like that. It's just a special place for us, and he he really, you know, is a special person in our lives.
1: Yeah, well, you're like you're his guest. You know, it's yeah. it's not a business thing. That week, he's the he's the patron. He is. Yes. He, he he's wants great. To, yeah, that's neat. So, how do you stay motivated after you know a quarter century plus in the game?
2: You know, it's interesting. Um, you know, I. I had a decent career. won three times. Uh, you know, I had a, lost a few playoffs. And, I mean, I never made a Ryder Cup, never a Press Cup. I always felt like one of you, would, uh, you could say, I underachieved. Uh, you know, I probably overachieved because I couldn't make my college golf team, quit yeah. golf. Uh, I think I'm the only guy on the PGA Tour that's played the United States mid-amateur <laughs> at 25. <laughs> um, and, you know, so I had a nice career, but... You know, I'm not done. I kind of had to start over again, and uh, I'm very motivated. I, I want to I win out here. I want to win a bunch. I want to win majors. Um, and, be, and also, it's time sensitive. You know, I figure I got, what, maybe 10 years left or so to play, you know, competitive golf. So you know, I'm motivated. I'm, I'm working out. I'm, I'm doing all the right things to put myself in a position to ha- for an opportunity to play well. And it's just been an absolute blast.
1: I mean, you're kind of selling yourself short. You got to the top 20 in the world ranking at one point. Yeah, I did. But, you know, and I didn't
2: stay there. And I, I, felt, you know, I, I felt like at the time I should be in the top 10 and all these things. But, you know, it, it didn't happen for me. Um, uh, you know, I played played some really good golf and had some good opportunities. But, again... I felt during my PGA Tour days that uh, you know I had to play great to win, and I had to do all these things that uh, hit the heroic shot, which, you know, looking back on it, if I just would have stayed more patient, um, you know, trusted my game and my ability, and not worried about having to hit the great shot or play the greatest round ever, and just let some of these tournaments come to me, I might have had you know, won quite a bit more. Um, you know, unfortunately, I didn't, so I've learned from it. It took yeah. a lot of, lot of years <laughs> to learn yeah. from it, but I still have an opportunity out here, and You know, I I tell people I feel exactly the same trying to win a golf tournament here as I did on the PGA Tour. It's no different. I'm still playing against the same guys that I was playing against. And so, you know, I feel the same. And to be able to be 52 years old and to play your sport for a living, I think it's just uh, amazing.
1: This So... one guy who's kind of been lording over you your entire career is Tom Watson. But, you I mean, that was a big deal to get your first win in New Orleans. Yeah, and I you him. St- you stared him down, right?
2: I did. And it was on a day that was blowing like 35-40 at English turn. I mean, it was a perfect Tom Watson day. Yeah. Um, and here I am, you know, a snot-nosed kid, second year on the PGA Tour. And I'll never forget Johnny Miller came up on the range, you know, before we teed off. And he's like, <laughs> all right, so uh, what are you trying to do today? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well. I'm playing to win. He says, yeah, right, whatever. (laughs) So... (laughs) That's the best Johnny Miller like, my impression Johnny? I've ever heard <laughs> of. No and Johnny was the guy I looked up to because I lived at Silverado yeah, w- in Cal his heyday, Yeah. you know, 75, 76 when he was winning everything. You know, and Johnny's th- calling this the Hooters Tour because I'm winning, you know. So it, I was kind of offended. That I wanted to prove myself as this young kid to yeah. play against, you know, one of my boyhood idols, Tom Watson, on a day that's perfect for him. Yeah. Uh, and I played, you know, I played great. And it was just one of those days I, I did. I, I played great in the wind. I had a six-shot league on the last hole. And I remember looking over going, okay, I'm adding up. Can I make nine and still win? Can I make ten and win? <laughs>
1: might not be the best swing not thought. Not
2: the best swing thought. And I, you know, I, made, I made a nice bogey to win by five. And I'll never forget, one of the neatest things ever, I got in after in the locker room and I, I sat down and opened up my locker and there's a note from Davis Love and it said, welcome to the Masters. And I nice. thought that was so cool. I mean, That's I get cool. chills just thinking about it now. Yeah. I mean, to be able to win and play in the Augusta National and the Masters was
1: really cool. Is there a funny moment with, with with Watson? I mean, he's out there grinding. He's not the chattiest guy, but was there one thing you ta- you remember from that day?
2: You know, he actually played right in front of me, so, uh, you know, I was tied with uh, Tommy Tolles at the time, and Tom Watson was one back at the time, even though he got the lead during the round, so I didn't get to play with him, I played with Tommy Tolles. You know, again, I win, I didn't see Tom afterwards, but I saw him years later, Uh, you know, we we played a couple times, and he's always been so gracious, but I got to go hunting with him on Greg Norman's ranch, and so we got to sit down and kind of talk about that a little bit, you know, my first win against (laughs) him, and, you know, he says, yeah, I remember that day, and we were talking about it. And it was really a cool experience to sit there and kind of reminisce with, with Tom Watson,
1: whatever happened to Tommy tolls, Tommy tolls. I tell you
2: what, he's now playing some good golf again. He's come out and he's qualified for quite a few uh, PGA tour champions events. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Tommy, you know, gets through our Q school and comes out here and actually plays pretty well. He's, he's still in great shape. Um, he was, he's a landscape architect back in his hometown. I love uh, it. Yep, yeah, landscape architect, drives a tractor, does all that stuff, loves it. But he's actually playing some really good golf again. And I wouldn't be surprised if he comes out next year and qualifies uh, through our qualifying school and, you know, has a nice little career.
1: I remember in, you know, 96, 97, 98, he was a top he player. He was the man. I yeah. mean, he, you know, he
2: almost won the Players' Championship. Yeah. Um, he Every week he seemed like he was right up there. So. 97
1: Masters, you know, he had a chance yeah. to win the B flight. He, he was right there. He did. He had yeah.
2: exactly right. Exactly yeah. right. So, he, you know, he's a good guy, and, he, and he's kept himself in good shape. And,
1: you know, he actually came out here and have a nice career. I mean, the best golf you played coincided with Tiger at his oh, absolute yeah, peak. Yeah, yeah. So you got a, a few glimpses of him along the I way. I did. What are your memories? A lot.
2: You know, I, it was... It was fun for me. I got to play with Tiger quite a few times, and and a few times in final groups. And I remember the first couple times I played with him, you know, the intimidation factor was unbelievable, because when he got to the golf course, he was all business. I mean, we were friends off the golf course, but man, once he got to the golf course, he had those blinders on, and I I remember just watching him hit shots, going, oh my God, I can't hit that shot, and he hit another (laughs) one, I can't hit that chip. You know, and I finally, I stopped watching, (laughs) because it was just so intimidating how good he hit it, the sound that... The club made against the ball was a sound I'd never heard before. So I just stopped watching him. And when I stopped doing that, you know, I actually played okay. I could compete with him when I played my best and he was a little off. Um, But he had to be off. If he played his best, I had no chance. And so that was the intimidation factor. You knew going in that you had to play your best and he had to be a little bit off. And I, I was fortunate. I got to travel with him, with Mark O'Meara and David Duval. We go over to Ireland, over to the K Club, and play golf and fish before the British Open um, a couple of years, two or three years together. And it was it was so much fun for me to to be around him and watch him work out and to see what really went into you know his preparation. Um, the guy was incredible. I remember playing Mount Juliet in the American Express, and we played the final group together. And I beat him that day, but he had like a five-shot lead on me going in. And he bogeyed the last hole. His only bogey the entire tournament was on the last hole. So we we're in there signing his card, and I started giving him crap about bogeying the last hole, the choker. And then we came in, and, you know, we're all at the bar drinking pints of Guinness, having a good time, celebrating. I think I finished third or fourth, something like that. And all of a sudden, here comes Tiger walking in. And we're like, hey, Tiger, come over and have a drink. And he says, nope, I'm going to work out. And we're all like, all our heads just went right on the table like, how are we going to beat this guy? <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, he was incredible. And when he, when he was on, nobody could beat him.
1: I mean, does part of you wish that he would have just lived a little more and gotten out of his bubble, and it might have saved him a lot of grief down the road? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Tiger, you you can't
2: you can't look back and say he should do anything different because that guy was at the time was the greatest player, you know, in the world, and could have been really the, one of the greatest players ever. I mean, he's not going to catch Nicholas's record. We don't. No one really believes that anymore. But during those years, the percentage of wins that he would have when he teed it up. I mean, it was incredible, um, but, you know, off the golf course, he was, you know, he was fun to be around. On the golf course, he was all business, and yeah. you look at all the guys that were really the best golfers that had ever lived at their time, the guys that were number one, that's kind of how they were, you know, yeah. Nick Faldo, Greg Norman, the guys who were really at the top for the longest time, I mean, they were all business once they got the golf course, and that's why they you know, they beat the heck out of us.
1: So you're more well-rounded life. I mean, what kind of what kind of pursuits do you have away from the golf course? Do you still do you still ski and I, kayak I, and all I, that I, stuff? I
2: don't do a lot of that stuff anymore. I was still I still had current my private pilot's license up to a couple of years ago. I've kind of let that go just because I can't fly all the time. Yeah. You know, I, I as I'm getting older, you know, I'm realizing that it's a little more dangerous <laughs> than I thought. Yeah. I'm not skydiving I'm not really kayaking and, uh, and not skiing, but my wife uh, is a triathlete, so I do a lot of training with her running, biking, and swimming, um, and that's been a lot of fun. And we do a lot of fishing, and I still do a little bow hunting. So, you know, those are the things. We travel so much, though, 26, 27 weeks a year. You know, it's tough to, you know, do a lot of different hobbies on the outside. Um, but, again, you know, my pursuit when I came out here was to be the best I could be and try to win Schwab Cups and win tournaments. So even in the off season, you know, I'm still – I live down in La Quinta where the weather's perfect. I've still been practicing and playing in the off season, really trying to hone my game and get it ready for the next season have you done any competitive triathlons you know i haven't but i am going to do a sprint triathlon at some point um so, I, you know, I train with her, and, and you know, she kicks my butt out there. Well, she'll she'll go on, you know, 50-mile bike rides, and I'll ride for about 20 miles with her, and I can kind of keep up. And after that, I just – I, I won't even say anything. I just turn off and meet her at home, you know. <laughs> she'll go on 13-mile runs, and I'll run for about three or four miles, and that's it. Then I, I'm done. Uh, it, it's amazing the, the dedication that uh, these triathletes have. And she, run, she was running about a bunch of half Ironmans, um, and the training that's involved to do that and be
1: competitive uh, really is unbelievable. And does she caddy if you ever in any silly season events? Well, or anything?
2: she does. She actually she she caddied for me my first PGA Tour Champions event, uh, the British Senior Open at Sunningdale, was our was our very first event uh, on the Champions Tour. She caddied for me there. Um, and she's caddy for me on some PGA Tour events in Reno and FedEx and Alabama. So she's caddied for some events, and she's a good player. She's a seven or eight handicap, and, and she knows what's going on, and she can caddy. And believe me, when she's carrying the bag, I don't
1: worry about her walking up the house. I'm worrying about <laughs> worrying about me. It does seem like it's more common out on this tour to have have your your wife or girlfriend caddy. I don't, is that an economic thing? Is it just uh, you get this time of life, you don't want to deal with any other people except for your your own? Yeah, I don't know. I think you know again. I'm treating this, this is a business, even though this is fun, and I'm trying to do the
2: best I can. I've got my old caddy, Rich Mayo, that was on the bag with me on the PG tour, with me because I want to give myself the best opportunity. Not saying that my wife can't you know, do a good job. But yeah. I think having Rich Mayo there and having a good tour caddy, you know, is so much to your advantage um, that, you know. But guys have won. It. Jay Haas won with his wife Jan on the bag at Newport yeah. a couple years ago. Brenda yeah. Kalkovecchi caddies for Mark. Um, and, you know, Langer has uh, some of his kids come out and caddy. So, you know, and they've done well. So yeah. once you get out of here and once you've seen the courses enough, probably not as big a deal. But, uh, you know, right now, you know, it's working real, real well with Rich caddying for me, so we're going to keep it that way. Not only that, I mean, if my wife caddies for me, what are we going to talk about at dinner that day? <laughs> hey, honey, remember that shot I hit on three? Yeah, I was there. You know,
1: I mean, yeah, you only have so much good material in a day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how many guys are chasing it as hard out here as you are? Is it 20? Is it 50? I mean, people, there's this perception it's just an exhibition tour. Obviously, that's not true. You just yeah, spelled that. Rumor, it's not at all. I mean, how, how deep is it, the number of guys who are really grinding well, hard? Well,
2: I think that the number gets a little deeper every year. I mean, the guys that come out, I mean, these guys can play. You got Jerry Kelly. He's just won two times in the last four week, Four weeks. Steve Stricker, who, you know, hopefully next year he'll start playing tomorrow when he gets done with the President's Cup. Um, Davis Love, we need Davis to come out here and play more. But you know those guys had great careers; they made a ton of money. Are they going to be motivated like I am to go out and win Schwab Cups? I think anybody that comes out here and sees what it's like, sees what it takes. I mean, we all have that competitive juices flowing, that competitive fire. We want to be the best at whatever we do. So if you're that type of guy, you know, there's probably 25, 30 guys that uh, are coming out here trying to win Schwab Cups. Um, you know, and I'm certainly that. That's my goal.
1: I mean, what is the future of this tour? Because you mentioned Davis. He hasn't plunged in. Vijay hasn't played much.
2: We need I, I, those guys. I, I don't
1: think Phil really has many plans. You're not going to get Tiger. I mean, yeah. Can
2: can well, you survive? Not, you it? never know about Tiger. He might. You never know. He, he may need he, this he tour might. more than I he mean, might. He may need it. Yeah, he might. He might. You know, all of a sudden not be able to play for the next couple of years and, yeah. and then want to play again if he if he gets healthy. You never know. You know, it was interesting. I got to spend some time with uh, Jack nicholas after the Lost Tree Pro Am after I won in Boca, and uh we talked about Champions Tour. And he pulled me aside and he put his hand on my shoulder. and He says, "You know." That's one of my big regrets in life, that I didn't play more on the Champions Tour. He goes, I loved it. It was so much fun. It got my competitive juices flowing, that fire. But I just didn't play as much as I should have. And looking back at it, I wish I would have played more. So when you got the greatest golfer of all time saying he wished he would have played more... You know, don't take this for granted. This is an incredible experience. It's so competitive. It's not an exhibition tour. I mean, this is a competitive golf tour. And I truly believe, you know, there's 20 or more guys that could still play on the
1: PGA Tour if they wanted to. I've never heard Jack say that. That should be an infomercial. I know. It was
2: was incredible. It surprised me that he would say that. But, you know, he took it upon himself. And he knew, he knows, and we've talked before how much I want to play out here and how well I want to do. Jack and Barbara have just been fantastic to to Jenny and myself, and so he wanted to instill in me that hey, don't take this for granted. Go out there and be the best you can
1: be. I mean, your next phone call should be to Jay Monahan to get Jack Nicholas saying that on camera. <laughs> Show it to every forty-eight-year-old guy in the world.
2: Exactly, right? it's so much fun. So when I you know see my that buddies that they're still playing the PGA Tour and they're like, ah, I don't know if I want to play. I'm like. Get out here. You're going to love it. I mean, I was talking it up to Jerry Kelly. I said, you won't believe how much fun this is. And when Jerry came out here, he says, oh, my God, this is amazing. He goes, you know, I don't know if I'm going to go back. He
1: goes, this is my tour. And he's having fun. I mean, why would he go back? He's getting—he's giving up 50 yards off the tee. He has to grind hard just to, just to maybe it, get a top 20. Make a cut. Even you know, make a so cut. Hard. Yeah. Making a cut's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, it's not fun to get your teeth kicked in, I no, don't think. it's not. And
2: again, you know, when, when you get to that age and you're not hitting it as far, it's tough to compete week in and week out with those guys that bomb it. I mean, there are certain courses that a Jerry Kelly um, can compete at on the PGA Tour, you know, something like New Orleans, um, Heritage, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, Fort Worth colonial you know those type of events but you get them on these big golf courses it's very difficult when he's got four in his hand coming to par fours and justin thomas and all these guys are hitting wedges and nine iron it's it's too difficult at some point now for a guy like myself who still hits it pretty far you know i think right now the way i'm playing i could still kind of compete on the pga tour because i still hit it out there pretty good um i would be probably above average on the on the pga tour um you know but again I I want to be out here. I want to play out here,
1: and I want to win out here. There's no temptation to try and sneak in a half dozen events on the PJ Tour? You know, it, right now, it's interesting. I actually got a spot
2: into Silverado, uh, which is coming up in two weeks, um, and that's where I grew up. That's where I I want to play that tournament so bad because that's what got me into golf is as I, I was a little kid watching the old Kaiser and Anna's or Bush. Um And I unfortunately, I, I end up booking something, so I can't do it. But thinking about it, I'm like... You know, my goal is to win the Schwab Cup. Uh, do I? I just played six. I'm going to play six events in a row. I'm going to have only a week off and then go play another four. Do I really want to do that going into the playoffs trying to reach, beat Burn Longer? So I took a pass and had to say no. Uh, but I get to play in the Players' Championship next year. Um, which will be a lot of fun for winning the senior for winning event. this yeah. exactly yeah. so you you never know i might i might play a couple if i got in i you know i would i would never skip a, a champions tour event though uh to play a pj tour event uh, this is where this is where i belong and you know i've already had my time out there and uh i want to support this tour
1: I mean, Sawgrass is not a power golf course. It's a position golf course. It is.
2: It's not, you know, I never play. I remember when we first started playing for a lot of money there, you know, maybe six million, you know, back in the early 90s. You know, people are asking me, what's it like playing for six million? I said, they pay the same when you miss a cut. (laughs) You know, I just never played all that well there. But now, the way I hit it, you know, I'm a lot straighter now and I chip and putt a lot better, you know, I think I could probably do all right. You know, I don't know if I can win, but I, I certainly feel like I could make a cut and maybe, you know, compete.
1: All right, next year you win the players. Oh, yeah, we, then we, I'm in the Masters. Well, do you get the exemption for five years in the PGA <laughs> yeah, Tour. Do? What do you do? What do you do?
2: You know, at that point, uh, you would have to think about it. Um, right now, you know, I don't know. That, that would be a great – position to be in and it's interesting you know sitting at home watching the masters and i really felt like that was a major that i was going to win i had chances a couple times they had the lead playing the final group when jose maria won it i was in the lead on saturday through 11 and you know finished 10th my first year there i always felt like i could win there i want to play in that again so how do I do that? i got to somehow make enough money at the Players' Championship to get me some events and win a beach, some obscure PGA Tour event <laughs> and get back in. it's doesn't that hard. It doesn't, you, know, you never know. I mean, there's some guys that uh, <laughs> have won events to get back in.
1: I like how you said you were leading through 11 holes. On So what I, happened on 12? That was.
2: That, yeah, <laughs> I actually had business cards made up that said uh, 11, uh, f- you know, whatever, how many hole leader of the Masters. <laughs>
1: You're, finished, the four, four, you're the forty-seven hole leader. Yeah,
2: finished, finished second eleven times. I mean, I, it was, I had a funny business card. Uh, uncork the greatness. I think was the tagline on it. Um, yeah, is that a wine reference? It was a wine reference, of course. You well, know, growing grew, up grew, in Napa Valley. Yeah, you know, uncork so,
1: the greatness. So my uh, my dad grew up in Sonoma, yeah. and um, grandfather had a big ranch there forever. Oh, and I mean, it's a special place to be. So. Yeah. What are your favorite wines? This is this is let's hear it.
2: Oh my gosh. Yeah, you know, one of my favorite wines of all time, Joseph Phelps Insignia. Um, Silver Oak was always one of my favorites, go-to, you know,
1: uh you know. Can I can I tell you something about Silver Oak? Yeah. I, I I put that on Twitter one time and I got, it was like a, it was like a hailstorm of, of hate. Really? It was like, oh, you Californians, you all think silver oak's so great. It's piss. i like, what? <laughs> it's, like, a gr- it's a it's very a great consistent, great wine. You know, I had no idea that it was like, this, oh, it was
2: a sensitive topic. Uh, it's, well, see, I was drinking silver oak, you know, when I was 17. Oh, I I can't say that out here.
1: <laughs> that was in the, in the high school cafeteria. High school, exactly. Yeah. We
2: drank that all the time back there in high school. You know, so when come to a party, it's like, did you bring a 12-pack? No, but I brought three <laughs> bottles of uh, 85 and an 82 and a
1: 79. <laughs> That's
2: awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we I, I love, you know, Napa Valley wines. Um, I, you know, I can't really afford the Screaming Eagles and the Harlins and those type of things. But there's so many great wineries that, you know, you can go to. And, uh, and I remember just always trying to find a good you know, fifteen to twenty dollar bottle of wine. That's the key. I mean, right. yeah, you buy two hundred dollar, two hundred dollar. Yeah, it's good. But right. the key is trying to find that really good special bottle. that's fifteen to twenty bucks.
1: Right. Like you get invited to Augusta National and all those douchey guys. Like like the eight hundred dollar Bordeaux. Like find the forty dollar bottle exactly of wine. Exactly. That's right. cool. That's what's cool. Yeah. Exactly right. All right. Well, that's a new relationship goal right there. <laughs> so so what's next can you really catch bernie i mean it's a lot of it's a lot of points here you
2: know it, i can and i'll tell you why it, i i've got within what am i 300 and something three let's see i'm thousand two hundred. no i don't know exactly but i'm somewhere around <laughs> i was gonna there.
1: be impressed yeah, yeah.
2: Um, i can catch him and the, the way i can catch him is to stay close for the next couple events and then you know win one or two of the playoffs you know those are double points at that point i can catch him But the goal is I'm in second right now. I've got a pretty big lead on third. I don't know if anybody can catch Langer or myself going in that last event. So I'm probably gonna be second going into it. All I gotta do is have a good event in Phoenix. If I can win it, you know, if I finish second and he finishes twentieth or something like that, I could still win it. So it's still possible.
1: He hasn't finished twenty. I know he hasn't
2: done that. He hasn't finished outside the thirteenth, so that's you know, it's probably not gonna happen. So I'll probably have to win.
1: So how, okay, well, let's end with this. How do you trash talk Bernard Langer? Yeah. <laughs> you got to have something. You need some material. There's like no way. Nothing rattles him. It's, uh, he is unbelievable. You know,
2: uh, you can't trash talk him because he, he puts so much time in. Nothing bothers him, but he's got a very dry sense of humor. Um, And I've actually, you know, we've been texting. We text back and forth and stuff. And after about a couple weeks of texting back and forth, he sent me, like, a a smiley face emoji. And I just started cracking up. I'm like, oh, my God, Langer just sent me an emoji. I didn't even know he knew what an emoji was. And I told his wife, Vicki, I said, oh, my God, I can't believe Bernard sent me an emoji. She goes, why? He does that all the time. He's got... He's, he's very funny and a great personality. I'm
1: like, yeah, but I just didn't think he'd send me emoji. And then his daughter said, he must like you if he sent you emoji. The first example of human emotion for Bernard Lager. Exactly right. A smiley face emoji. Smiley face emoji. Right. <laughs> We're going to throw this over to the listeners. We're going to solicit some, some trash talk for you, and I'll pass it along. That's that that great. You. That right. helped me out a lot because I'm going to need help against him. All right, Scott, this was awesome. Thanks for your time. Really Thank enjoyed you, it. Thank you, Appreciate Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. Okay, well, you survived another podcast on The Knockdown. Thanks to all of you for listening truly appreciate your, uh, your loyalty and your patience. Lots more uh, coming up in the future, so please tune in again. For now, this is Alan Shipnuck, signing off.